Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. Carol Master in our Bloomberg, well, not exactly 1130 studio, but I am at Bloomberg headquarters at our Invest New York Summit. Corey Johnson in our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. Do you know what you're going to be doing one week from now? One week from now, I do. What? We'll be dining. No, we'll be talking about the Fed. <laughs> We're not going to be dining. We're going to be talking to, uh, about the Fed. big trip to San Diego. Oh, two-day Fed meeting. We'll get the decision. Tease away. Let's uh, get a little bit from Lindsay Pags in a bit. But first, <laughs> yes. let's get to, uh, can you tell them it's lunchtime here in the Bay Area? That's all I'm saying. Charlie Pellet's got the latest in business news headlines. All right. I thank you very much, Corey Johnson, the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ. They continue to push higher. But right now, we have got the numbers at the close of floor trading on the NYMEX, brought to you by USCF. Invest in what's real. Visit USCFinvestments.com. That is USCF investments.com. West Texas Intermediate Crude down 4.9% to 45.84 a barrel on WTI. That is down $2.35. Brent crude down 3.8% to $48.20. Stocks higher. They have been fluctuating as banks advance, offsetting that route in crude oil. The S&P 500 index up 3 to 24.32. That's a gain of one-tenth of 1%. Dow Industrials up 41, a gain of two-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 15 to 62.90, a gain also of two-tenths of one percent. Gold now down 10.50 the ounce to 12.86, a drop of eight-tenths of one percent. And as we mentioned, crude oil down 4.8 percent. What about Washington and the markets? Brian Belsky is chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets. And on Daybreak Americas this morning, he spoke with our Tom Keene. I think people are still having a, a really hard time trying to, to um, digest how much, how much work actually they're going to be doing with respect to politics because, quite frankly, a couple of weeks ago, we had the headlines of impeachment. Market was down 2%, and now we've been up since then. So, I mean, what are we doing here? So I think what we're doing here is really focusing more on stocks versus uh, trying to focus on all these headlines because it's really fire aim ready with what's, what's happening with right. the press. So let's buy good companies, Tom. Let's get through the summer. Let's get some things done in Washington. Okay. Let's move on from there. Fair. And right now we have got the S&P again recapping up 3 to 24.32, a gain there of two-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Yes, you are. Charlie Pellet with a Bloomberg Business News Flash. The Fed Hour brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network, the broker-dealer RIA that's been putting relationships first since 1979. Find out why the industry's most satisfied advisors are head over heels about them. Visit Commonwealth.com for more information. This is Bloomberg. Lindsay Pegg has joined us right now. She's the chief economist at Stiefel Financial uh, with a look at uh, what we might expect to hear from the Fed when it meets next week. Uh, and, Lindsay, uh, some of the economic data coming into this uh, is a little different than the Fed had predicted we'd see. Oh, a- absolutely. And in May, the Fed really had uh, the ability to say what well, we don't know yet. The weakness in the first quarter is likely to prove transitory. And we didn't have any updated data 
to suggest otherwise. But now as we head into the June meeting, the most recent data does suggest that maybe some of these lingering trends of weakness that we saw at the start of the year are going to carry over into the second quarter and beyond, particularly when we talk about the more recent soft inflation data. So many committee members are likely to take a little bit of a, a second look at the data as well as their commitment to move forward with a more aggressive uh, rate plan near term. Lindsay, what do you think the Fed will do or say about normalizing the size of its $4.5 trillion balance sheet one week from today? Well, it's interesting because they began the discussion several months ago talking about this renewed attention to shrinking the balance sheet, but they really haven't given us any specifics. Now, in the May meeting minutes, certainly we saw the Fed wants to do this in a very controlled manner. They want to articulate to the market the exact plan and timing and scope that they intend to reduce monthly uh, reinvestment at. But, uh, again, we haven't been given those details. So June would offer a fantastic opportunity for the Fed to start to deliver some of those details to the marketplace. I do think, however, the Fed will fall short of an actual start date. They want to allow themselves continued wiggle room on actually taking that next step and putting that plan to fruition, but they may continue to divulge some of those specifics that the market is looking for. Uh, is the data clear going into this? Is the direction clear? I mean, the transitory nature that they hinted at seemed uh, like it was, uh, I don't know, wishful thinking, but they were right. I think that the data at this point is uh, very unclear in terms of the directional trend. On the consumer side, you see the consumer still very much under pressure, but spending a, a little better at a little faster pace than what we saw in the first quarter. So I suppose it depends on whether your vantage point is glass half full or glass half empty. On the domestic production side, we do see that manufacturing picked up early on, but we've since lost some steam with a lot of uh, anecdotal reports suggesting that producers are beginning to lose confidence in the uh, the bump expected from some of the pro-growth policies out of Washington that have yet to come to fruition. We talk about business investment, still very sluggish, although improved from even uh, more sluggish levels. So again, going back to the idea of whether or not we want to look at this from a vantage point of glass half full or glass half empty. Now, many committee members are going to continue to take the vantage point of erring on the side of caution, uh, particularly amid that soft inflation data. But there's plenty of hawkish officials that say the time is now. Moderate is good enough. We need to continue to move forward with rate increases. Lindsay, earlier today, um, Janice's Bill Gross, of course, long time of PIMCO, now with Janice, um, you know, watch when it comes to certainly the fixed income markets, has been investing in the fixed income markets for a long time. He said to Eric Schatzker here at the Bloomberg Invest New York Summit uh, that finance has played out, and he means that the price of credit is as low as it can go. And then when rates go so low, you know, it's either going to, the theory suggests it should help out growth or the money may go into a mattress rather than an investment. Um what do you think about that when you continue to see rates so low, the fixed income market, the treasury market, really the yield still staying so low? What does that tell you? And just got about 40 seconds. Well, this really has been one of the points of contention for the recovery, the fact that businesses, uh, small businesses, individuals haven't been taking advantage of this incredibly accommodative rate environment. They haven't been taking on new loans, putting that cash to work, growing businesses which typically leads to an increase in hiring and a significant gain in wages. We simply haven't seen that. So at this point, there still is a lack of confidence in terms of the long-term directional trend for the economy. 
particularly amid ongoing uncertainty from fiscal policy, uh, rising health care costs, ample regulation. So these are issues that we're still looking to Washington to decide and solve, but we haven't yet seen a solution uh, in terms of pen hitting paper. All right, going to leave it on that note. Lindsay, thank you so much. Lindsay Piegza, she's Chief Economist at Stiefel Financial, joining us on the phone from Chicago. And, of course, one week from now we will have uh, that next Fed rate decision. Coverage of the Bloomberg Invest Conference on Bloomberg Radio is being brought to you by SEI. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. Carol Master, Corey Johnson, we are Bloomberg Radio. Let's get some World of National News headlines with Bloomberg News anchor Nathan Hagern on 991 Studios in Washington, D.C. All right, thank you, Corey. I need loyalty. I expect loyalty. That is what former FBI Director James Comey will tell the Senate Intelligence Committee that President Trump told him at a dinner back in January. The panel has posted Comey's opening statement online a day before he testifies. He also plans to say the president urged him to lift what he called the cloud of the investigation into fired National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's Russia ties. Former director called that very concerning. Our live coverage of Comey's testimony begins tomorrow morning after 9.30 Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. Ahead of that, Senate Intel called up the nation's top spies today to ask whether President Trump ever urged them to intervene in the Russia investigations. And they didn't get much. Independent Angus King told National Intelligence Director Dan Coats. You can clear an awful lot up by simply saying I I, I don't share, I do not share with the general public conversations that I have with the president. The uh, Coates refused to weigh in on a Washington Post report that the president had asked him to publicly deny any collusion between his campaign and Russia. Five suspects have been detained following today's two uh, dual terror attacks in the capital of Iran. We're just getting that word right now from Tehran's police chief. Islamic State had claimed responsibility for the suicide bombing inside the Iranian parliament and the shooting attack at the Ayatollah Khomeini Shrine. Both attacks left about a dozen dead, including four attackers. The powerful Iranian Revolutionary Guard put out a statement tying Saudi Arabia to the attack without going into specifics. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nathan Hager. This is Bloomberg.